friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. and welcome back to Becoming Buffy. We are so ready to get into this episode. We think that it's kind of one of those episodes that is easy to skip over, but going through like rewatching has actually a lot of hidden depth to it. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's easy, and I know we were joking about this, it's easy to kind of write this off as another Xander-centric episode, but I think that it does a really good job of balancing character development between all of the characters, not just Xander. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that this is one of those episodes where there's just a lot of quality in midst of a lot of other stuff going on. And there's just like a lot of points that I'm really, really excited to talk about yeah. because I feel like they set up themes that we have seen, but also will see throughout the show. And you kind of forget about them because a lot of the times you forget about the stuff. Well, there's a lot of like really great moments in this episode. And I think we talked about it before about how some of the episodes that maybe aren't our favorites usually tend to be the ones that have the best character development because you can tell they had an idea of where they wanted their characters to go first before maybe they came up with the idea of the monster of the week. Um, so I'm excited right. about it. Well, because they can decide, okay, I want this person to, um, this part of their character to be jump started. So how can we, you know, create a monster of the week to kind of kickstart yeah. that? So like what Sarah was saying, like if they're like, okay, we need to talk about this. How can we do that? Let's create this idea for an episode. So like even though the monster of the week may not be my favorite, um, there's a lot of little aspects that are important that kind of are written around it. Um, we did want to give a preface that this is our spoiler-free section, and so we will not be talking about any spoilers in the section, so go ahead and feel free to relax. Um, but we do have a section later on, which is called our Scooby Secrets, which is our full spoiler section, so we will be talking about everything spoilers. So if you don't want to be a part of that, then you can go ahead and not listen, but if you do, then get excited. <laughs> we also have an Instagram. So if you want to look us up, it's Becoming Buffy Podcast. And then you can email us at Becoming Buffy Podcast at gmail.com. We always forget to talk about that in the beginning. Um, I think that Inca Mummy Girl is actually the first episode that has a very um, sympathetic villain, if, or not even maybe a villain, maybe somebody who's kind of more of a gray area villain. Yeah, I think the only like other episode that I can think of where there's like a quote unquote gray villain, which would be Angel the episode. Mm. Angel is made out to be the villain in that episode because like they're playing on the narrative of like, oh, he's a vampire. Like, is he here to trick Buffy? Is this all a scheme? Blah, blah, blah. And so I think that they're trying to play that narrative of like, you know, him kind of being the villain. But I think that this is the first real episode with a actual real gray kind of just a sympathetic character that ends up, you know, doing the wrong thing. Yeah. I mean, unless you don't count like the puppet in the puppet show because he wasn't technically the villain, but he was painted out to be the whole time. Yeah. But. I Yeah, I guess. But I, I don't really see him as the villain in there, mm -hmm. though. It was more of like a kind of fake out type of situation. Yeah, he was very much not the villain because then you end up finding out that there was that demon who was the villain. Just like in Angel, you end up finding out that Darla was manipulating things behind the scene. In this right. one, it's just the Inca mummy girl and she's doing it to survive, you know? 
So, all right. So season two, episode four, Inca Mummy Girl. This episode was written by Matt Keen and Joe Reichenmeyer. And for those of you who are listening to our podcast on the regular and taking notes, I'm just kidding. I'm sure there's nobody out there doing that. I thought I'd be a little creeped out if people were taking notes just off our podcast. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I feel a lot more pressure. We're supposed to take notes and then like we, you know, give it to you guys. The whole point of the podcast is that they don't yeah, need to take notes. True. Yeah, if they're taking notes, that means we're not doing our job well. I just know it's going to happen. I'm going to get an email from someone. They're going to be like, um, actually, this didn't happen. I'm going to be like, dude, you want to be on our podcast? If you know. <laughs> hey, if you're putting in that much work, more power to yeah, you. Yeah, you want to be our podcast? <laughs> yeah. You could take my spot. You're probably doing more work than yeah. I am. <laughs> No comment there. <laughs> no. Okay. So the writers, Matt and Joe. Matt and Joe. They are actually the writers from the episode The Pack, which makes a lot of sense because I was about to say same energy. Same energy. Well, I mean, it has a similar feel, but also we know that this episode and then two other episodes in season two were written to be in season one and they didn't have enough time. And so they ended up kind of putting them in the back for season two, which as you're watching this episode, I think it is a lot tighter than most season one episodes, but it still has a season one feel. Yeah, I agree. I think that season one had this really, what's the word? They kind of had this unfortunate deal where they would have really good themes, at least in my opinion, like I'd really like the themes, but the execution of it just wasn't necessarily my favorite because it was a little bit more campy or just wasn't my personal taste. That's my whole thing with the pack is that it's a little like over the top but I really like the idea of the pack and I think it's the same with Inca Mummy Girl I think some of the scenes or the execution of it is a little over the top for me but I really love the idea of this episode I think that they just were trying to hit all of the major themes like the ones that are really obvious that people struggle with in the first season like right off the bat and so when you kind of do that you kind of like shoot yourself in the foot a little bit just because like your monsters can be really like on the nose yeah it's not really that entertaining entertaining or not entertaining that really like intelligent i don't want to say that to a bunch of episodes but but there's a fine line between saying i'm gonna do something that has nuance to it and i'm gonna hit you over the head with the metaphor you know what i mean and sometimes the buffy episodes kind of cross those lines a little bit with certain things that happen you know all right so it was written by matt keen and joe reichenmeyer and it was directed by ellen pressman and This episode was based off of a mummy that they actually found named Mamiya Juanita. They found her in the Andes on Mount Ampado, which you can already see Ampado, Ampada, the correlations there. (laughs) They found her in southern Peru, and she was known as the Lady of Ampado, and her other nickname was the Ice Maiden. And they took samples of her hair and actually found out that she was really young. She was, I think, between 14 and 16 years old. And she had been taken to the temple, I think, a year before she had been chosen and then just been given a lot of drugs and alcohol and all that stuff leading up to the week before her sacrifice where she was heavily drugged. Um, so she, when she died, she had no idea probably what was going on, which it's just very yeah. sad. Anyway, that's the history of it all. And they obviously took a lot of stuff from this news article that came out. Yeah, it makes me really feel for her like character once you know like more details. I don't know, like like what you're saying, Sarah, and I guess we'll talk about this a ton throughout the episode, but you just really feel for her in this yeah, episode. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So 
everybody is going on yet another field trip. And I love how small Sunnydale is compared to, you know, anywhere else. But then they have like, let's see, we've been to the zoo so far. Is the museum supposed to be in Sunnydale? See, okay, I don't know. It is in Los Angeles, but they would have had to take like a couple hour drive depending upon how far Sunnydale is from Los Angeles. I, I've done that in school. Yeah, we we did too. that multiple times where we would go to like like a science museum or like things like that where it was pretty much like your class, whatever class it could be. It could be for anatomy or for history. And or whatever you're gone the whole day. And you just take a whole day. But there day. are multiple instances in this episode where people go back and forth. And it seems to take a really short amount of time if it was going to be a couple hour trip. So I don't know. Either way. I'd actually assume that it's pretty close considering that like Hasn't Buffy said that her dad lives in LA and that yeah. she's taken trips to LA? So I'd assume it's pretty close. Yeah. And then, but it is a little weird that she went to go spend the summer with her dad, and it's implied that she didn't see her mom for the entire summer. So if they lived closer, you would imagine Buffy would have stopped by and seen her mom. If she lived really far away, it would make more sense that she wouldn't have seen her for the entire summer. So I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Uh, the location is the Natural History Museum, and I didn't know it was actually in Los Angeles. I've never been there. I should. I'm kicking myself for never having gone because it's really pretty. I've been on way too many field trips with um kids for summer camps. Oh, you've been there? Yeah, like three. Oh, or four times. I didn't know that. That's really cool. All right, so Buffy has an exchange student that's coming for two weeks, and she's kind of met about it. But Xander is like, "Hey, this is a really good idea. Like, you know, the melding of two cultures and." Buffy's like, well, have you ever done the foreign exchange program before? And then he says, and I can't tell if he's joking or not. He says his dad tried to sell him to the Armenians once. It's just so sad if he's not joking. Xander is such a typical trope of like, he copes through humor, which I like that they do that because I think it's very realistic because I think that's how most people deal with things Mm -hmm. or a lot of people, at least today. And so I like that they put in a character who you can kind of like when he says certain jokes or does certain things, you can tell there's a lot of pain yeah. there. And so I like that they kind of put in little stuff like this where you're kind of like, oh, whoa, like that was really serious. And then like he just kind of glosses over it. And I kind of like that they're slowly starting to put in little things mm-hmm. about like Sanders' background. Like this might explain why he's sometimes an interesting character. Yeah, or why he – I mean we've talked about this in detail, but why he struggles so much with what it means to be a man and why he uses humor as a shield. It seems like his home life might not be so great. Yeah, which would make sense why he has such a warped idea of what a man yeah, is. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Willow keeps talking about how she has a cute outfit for the world culture dance and no one seems to be really paying too much attention to her, which I'm like, guys, Willow's like, she's just adorable. I know. Yep. I think that they chose to make Willow like extra quote unquote, like invisible in this episode Mm -hmm. because as we know later on in the episode, a certain sweet guitarist, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we I know we don't know much about this character and he's literally introduced in this episode, but I think it's interesting that an episode where Willow is kind of it is more focused on the fact that she's a little bit more like invisible or a little bit more hidden to um Xander. There's, you know, a guy who's kind of taken an interest in Willow. Yeah. He notices her in yep. the Eskimo outfit. Yeah. Yep. yeah, great pains are put in to make Willow appear very invisible to Xander when she's wearing, and we've talked about before, when she's wearing, you know, really bright clothing and it's like, hello, how are you missing this? And I think it's supposed to symbolize how Willow is feeling when she's not noticed by Xander. Like, hello, I'm your best friend. I'm here. 
notice me. Yeah. So they go inside the museum and Xander finds out that Buffy's exchange student is a guy because Buffy was talking to Cordelia and Cordelia has an exchange student and she's very excited about how cute Sven is. (laughs) And I think that this whole interaction is very interesting because this is the first time in the show that we've seen Cordelia kind of come up to the gang with like no ulterior motive, no friends beside her really, like just kind of coming up to them in a very genuine moment and just kind of being like, oh, like this is the person that's going to stay in my house. Like, you know, who's the person that's going to stay in your house? Like it's a very high school friend type of vibe. Like it's not like a, oh, you can tell they're not like besties or anything, but like that's how you interact in a very cordial school friend type of way. And I like that we kind of are starting to see maybe a little bit of a shift in Cordelia. Well, I like the fact that she didn't like try to make it a point to go up and talk to them. Like she was trying to force herself. I think she didn't even notice it, which is the coolest part because she just kind of like slipped into conversation with Buffy and all of them and didn't even notice it. And then just kind of like moved on. Like it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but I feel like for Cordy to not like really notice and then like have a normal conversation with them is like it is growth. definitely a big deal. Just yeah. the fact that she's talking to them out in the open with everybody there shows that she's starting to maybe care a little less about appearances in front of other people and a little bit more about maybe just having some friends, you know? So Xander Peruge is not happy that there is a guy that's staying at Buffy's house. He was all on board with having an exchange student at Buffy's house until he finds out that it's a guy. Uh, And he keeps making comments like, keep his parts to himself and he's going to be like staying in your room. And it's like, okay, nobody is thinking these things except for you, Xander. And then they look over and they see Rodney, this guy we've never met before, which means he's either the villain or the victim in this episode. He's touching a statue, which, okay, so one time, I don't, I think it was the Gene Autry Museum. I don't remember. Oh, it was the Getty. We went to the Getty Museum as kids. Did I ever tell you guys this story? We went to the Getty Museum as kids and mom and dad got it on film and stuff. And I'm literally walking and touching everything. Like I had, I was like running my hands over like the rugs and all this stuff just because I was like, I wonder if he'll get caught. And then mom, you could see on the background on the video camera, like the security guard, like talking to me and dad's just giving me like some major stink eye. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about yeah. right. I, I'm, I'm going back previously to your story. I promise I was listening. But I think that it would be really funny if like every time a new character was introduced, we played like, is it a villain or a victim? <laughs> First five seconds of them being in there, we just like all guess on if they're like a villain or a victim. I know we've seen this. I was about before, to say, I was like, well, I know. <laughs> I know, but I think it'd be funny if we just were like, if we didn't, if we hadn't seen the show before. I, I think, unfortunately, he screams victim vibes. You can tell based upon how many lines they have, because if they have a lot of lines, then you're starting to establish like motive and character. And this guy, he, there's not enough to know about him other than he's tutored by Willow and bullied Xander. They might give him a lot of lines, though, to kind of like play up the like sad victim mentality, though. But this one was on, it kind of seemed like very like. This one was a little bit more obvious. Yeah. 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 I think it's really interesting that 
Buffy's like, all right, I'm going to go stop Rodney. And Willow steps in and is like, no, I I got this. I think the gentler approach might be better here. And I thought that was really like cool of Willow. She, She kind of takes the initiative on her own and she steps in in an area that they know that Buffy is more muscle. She isn't so much like the talking and relational type person. Generally, she can be. But I really liked that. I thought that was a cute character moment for Willow. Yeah, well, she knows like we're... I feel like she's starting to learn her footing in the group. She's like, you know what? Like, I don't really have like anything majorly special that I can help Buffy with at the moment other than like an occasional, like maybe helping with patrolling. But she's like, you know, I can't do this one thing. So I'm going to like do what I can. Yeah. And I also like that it just kind of shows a well-balanced group where their strengths are complementing the other's weaknesses. And I know the super like small moment, you know, it's literally just going up and talking to someone. But I think that it... It really speaks volumes to a friendship when you're willing to recognize the other person's like kind of weaknesses and be like, hey, like I'm better at this. I can do it. Yeah. And and, like as the seasons go on, people who I've seen Buffy before, like obviously know what everyone's footing is in the group. But like the first like at least the first season and a half, like you really just don't really see much other than Buffy doing like the brunt of the work. I think it's interesting, Tabs, like going back on what you said earlier, Willow helping Rodney right now, I think is again further highlighting that Willow herself kind of feels invisible and an outcast and she can relate to someone like Rodney who is very much an outcast and he's even invisible. Like people aren't really noticing what he's doing and he's he's even doing this kind of thing simply to get attention because he feels so unseen. Yeah, and I think that they maybe are doing that because they want to show a parallel between like Willow and an outcast because they're going to make a parallel between like Buffy and like a chosen one um, later on in the episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that they might have wanted to throw in another parallel there to kind of just like show just like how different their characters are from each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think so much of Willow's character, um, we see a lot of character movement and maybe like I guess growth in some ways, but there's a lot about Willow in this episode, and it's kind of cool. Then they all move into the Incan burial chamber, and you kind of get the backstory on who this girl is. They chose a beautiful girl to sacrifice, and she's protected by this seal. And okay, so the mummy is like out there for everyone to like breathe on and spit on and touch, which is like unrealistic, but I know for plot device, the plate. Like someone could easily steal it, like yeah. what, like what Rodney was about to do. Yeah. Well, also just like everything in museums in general is is like closed off. Like you're, it's like a rule. Like you're not supposed to touch. But even if you, you know, did want to touch, everything is like marked off. You cannot touch it. It won't allow you. Inside there's plastic. Boxes. There's glass or there's yeah. plastic. Yeah. Especially if something is like bones or something. Yeah. With human remains, you usually put it in some sort of temperature yeah. controlled something so that it preserves it. Um, and so they have this very convenient conversation over Impata. They talk about how their foreign exchange student, whose name is Impata, is coming and they're picking him up at the bus station. And I wrote in my notes, mummy can hear apparently, because we find out later that the mummy calls herself Umpata and she goes directly to the bus station. Mm-hmm. So she knew what was going on. It's not like she just like kills this guy and then just like well, I think I'm going to be on Pata. Yeah. So they all leave the room. Rodney comes back later, breaks the seal, which, wow, that's a super fragile seal. And then the mummy grabs him and gives him the kiss of death, which I guess we don't see, but it's implied. 
So back at school, Buffy is trying to convince Giles to let her go to the World Cultural Dance. And once again, Giles is like, no, you can't. You have a duty. You have a responsibility. She just wants to be a normal girl. So Giles is like, no, you cannot go to the World Cultural Dance. And then Buffy just starts to wail on him. She wails on him until he's like, all right, stop. He's like, fine, you can go. And she's like, yeah, 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 I know. Slaying entails sacrifice, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Give me a scone. And he's like, it's as if you know me. <laughs> and he's like, you're the chosen one. She's like, for once, I'd like to be the overlooked one. Yep. Kills me. Yeah. And Xander is still very jealous of Buffy having this foreign exchange student coming, which we will gloss over because I feel like we've given him way too much attention already. And I mean, he's allowed to be jealous. You know, he still likes Buffy. And I think that it's okay for him to like be jealous and be hurt by that because his feelings are valid. I just don't like the fact that he is being immature about it to his I friend. think the part that rubs me wrong is that he is feels like he's entitled to Buffy. He feels like he's entitled to Buffy's emotions. And even though she's clearly said yeah. she doesn't care for him, and I think he knows that at this point, it's like he tries to cock block every single guy that could possibly yeah. get close to her, even though Buffy is like never met Ampata and probably would not have anything romantic with him. He still feels threatened by it. And I think that goes down to his insecurity masculinity. Yeah. So yeah, Giles leaves the room and is like, I'm going to introduce my shoulder to an ice pack now. And you have this interesting exchange between Buffy and Xander where Xander's like, yeah, Willow and I are going to the dance, but it's not going to be romantic. And he talks about how, you know, you should come Buffy because when there's three of us, then it's not a romantic date. If it's just Willow and I, then it starts to get into dangerous territory. And Buffy says, in all the years you've known Willow, you've never thought about her lips. And then um, Willow comes in, hears the conversation, and he basically just says, like, no, I've never thought of her like yeah. that. And I will, like, I do have to give props to Xander. Like, we really have not seen him be purposely, like, cruel to Willow. Like, he is very... No, not at all. And, protective, I think, yeah. and I think that now that he is aware that she's, like, into him, we kind of are seeing him be a little bit more cautious and i really respect him for that because like you yeah. know in prophecy girl she kind of does say like i'm sick of being your second choice and i think it's sweet that like we're kind of seeing him take her feelings in that area kind of into consideration yeah i agree and even when buffy is like talking to her because i mean he doesn't even know willow's there but even when she's like asking her like hey have you ever thought about like willow's you know lips and all that he's not like ew gross he's just like no like i don't think of her that way well he says she's my best friend or he says i love willow and willow's face like all lights up and he says but she's my best friend the way that you talk about someone when they're not there it, it speaks volumes and the fact that he's not like bashing her it speaks well, volumes for him yeah absolutely and i think this is honestly this is the first time because i don't really count prophecy girl when like she turns him down with going to the dance because i i don't see it as like a, she's turning him down or he sees i don't think that he sees it as like she likes me so she's turning it down i think it's more of like she'd be really uncomfortable with like him pining over buffy but i think this is the first time in my opinion you guys can disagree that's fine that it's kind of like the elephant in the room between buffy and xander when it comes to willow is kind of brought up and it's implied that it's like hey we both know that willow's into you and so his response could have been so much worse yeah. about Willow. But like Leah said, he was very kind about it. And he was like, no, mm -hmm. like she's like my best friend. And like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I In my opinion, this is the first time that it's kind of implied that they're like bringing up yeah. 
That they're all aware of it. Yeah. And I also just like the way that like Willow handles this. Like it's just very sweet how she like comes in. You see her heart kind of just like break a little bit because it's not anything I think that she's not aware of, but it's just hard to hear because it's like she goes through multiple emotions because she's an amazing actress, but she like comes in, she's excited. She hears like, you know, them talking about her and then she realizes, oh, it's not the talking about that I would want and get sad, but then immediately kind of has this like way of like kind of bringing herself back to reality and is like, okay, these are my friends. Xander's my friend and moves on. Yeah. I think her face, the way I interpreted Allison Hannigan played it as Willow's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like she kind of knew that's how he thought about it, but hearing it verbalized, it was more of just like, okay, here we go. Same oh, same oh. He's pining over Buffy. It's different when someone is like, oh no, I don't like you. You know, it's whatever. But it's also different hearing oh no, I've never thought of you that way. I will never think of you that way. Yeah. It's almost like it kind of is like a different kind of sting because you're just like, wow, I'm not even like an option. I've never been an option and I will never be an option. Like it's just, it's a different type of pain. Well, I think my brain works differently. I think like I'd be more hurt because he wasn't saying it to me because you know how some people can say like, well, I'm not interested in you, but in their mind, they're like, well, maybe in the future or like there can be other stuff going on in their brain. But I feel like the way you talk about somebody to someone else, especially someone you're comfortable with kind of releases a little bit more of honesty. So in the moment he could have been like, well, like, yeah, I've possibly thought about it in the past, but like the fact that she was overhearing his unfiltered version of her to one of their friends and he was just like, no, I've never thought about it. To me, I feel like that'd be more hurtful rather than him telling it to me himself. Yeah. I don't know. I, I get the sense that Willow wasn't necessarily hurt by it. I think it was just more of like, yeah, there we go again, yeah. you know, but it's hard to tell too, because she comes in and says, Hey, Rodney's missing. And then they have this interesting exchange where they're all like, Oh yeah, he probably awoke the mummy. And then, yeah, you know, the mummy probably killed him. And then they all laugh and then they're like, wait a minute, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Finally, like becoming accustomed to the way that Sunnydale works. Yeah. And they're all like, haha, this probably happened. And they're like, Actually, that might be valid. <laughs> and any other show, you'd be like, what the heck? That's so easy for them to figure out. But it's like so many stupid, weird things have happened in the past season that you're like, yeah, they should understand it at this point. Yeah. Well, I like that they figured it out so fast and it makes sense how they did it too, you know? Yeah. They head back to the museum and I think it's Buffy who says maybe he just stepped out for a smoke. It was either Buffy or Willow. And Xander's like, for 22 hours? And Willow's like, it's addictive. <laughs> They're like trying to give him every chance. And then Giles finds the broken shard. And all of a sudden, this random guy attacks them with a sword. And props to Xander. He jumps on the guy's back immediately and fights him off. Guy runs away. And then they look down. And the mummy has braces, which... Ampata, or I keep calling her Ampata, but the mummy definitely did not have braces beforehand. Yeah. Which, I mean, I feel bad for Willow. She was obviously very close to this guy and cared for him a lot. Yeah. And this is like the second person in the two seasons that we've seen her lose that she like may not have been best friends with, but talked to every day and like was casual friends with and stuff. And so it's like, that's gotta be hard. Mm -hmm. Well, I think Willow is even kind of recovering from Prophecy Girl where she found all those guys dead in that room too. Like I would imagine there's still a lot of fear associated with that. Yeah. So back at the school, they are like, we can't believe Rodney is a mummy. And Buffy's like, oh crap. I'm 40 minutes late. I need to go pick up Ampata from the bus station. 
And then Xander kind of guilt trips her and is like, hey, like you should be saving the world, not hanging out with your Latin lover. And Buffy just brushes off his very rude comment and is like, oh, hey, he's from South America. Maybe he can translate the seal. And they rush off to the bus station. So then at the bus station, the boy Ampata, here's his name being called. And the mummy appears, kisses poor Ampata, and he turns into a mummy. I've always thought about like, what did the school tell Ampata's family? Yeah, I know. Right? Hey, I know he came to visit us and he was technically our responsibility, but... Uh, or you think that there would be one person whose job it was to check in with the exchange students once they got to America and the school being like, hey, how's your trip? How's this going on? Knowing that Ampata is supposed to be male... So how is this girl on Pata just walking around, no one checking in with her, no one like yeah. talking to or her? Or you would think there'd be someone at the actual bus stop and be like, hey, if you're going to Sunnydale, you know, and you're a foreign exchange student or whatever, come over here. I have to check you in. Yeah. And would wait there. Like usually there's or like how a faculty is no one member. else at the bus station. Well, no, she was late. No one else. Oh, that makes sense. Never mind. There's a lot of sketchy things going on. And also why the bus station? Why is he coming in on a bus? Why not like a plane or I don't know. Maybe he's like taking the bus station from the airport because I don't think Sunnydale has an airport. Unless like he went from bus to bus to bus for hours. That would suck. Or Ampata. He's like, gets to America and spends his entire time on the bus. And he's like, hi, I'm here now. He's like, I could have done that. I've been on a bus for hours. <laughs> Poor Ampata. I feel so bad for this guy. <laughs> really had a rough well, go. He probably things. spent like half the day traveling on the plane from where he was from to California, then like many bus rides from LAX all the way to Sunnydale. No one's at the bus station, then gets killed. That's all like the worst day ever. I know. Well, I mean, it is the worst day ever. Yeah. Poor Ampata. <laughs> At least he got some before he died. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that wasn't funny. <laughs> anyway. All right. So they show up to the bus station. 40 minutes late. It's dark. Xander's still whining. Says, do we have to speak Spanish when we see him? Because I only can speak Chihuahua Dorito. And all the respect I had for him for the way that he handled the Willow situation down. It's just like so insensitive. It's so insensitive. It's not funny. It's just like, wow, that's really annoying, Xander. I hope you never say that again. Kind of racist. Not gonna lie. I mean, you don't have to speak Spanish. No, you don't. But it would be really kind if you reached out to this person who has been riding on a bus all day yeah. <laughs> and has been traveling if you can't speak spanish if you can't do all that that's okay they're not expecting that but to be like i can say chihuahua it's like ew don't be no one's asking no one cares chihuahua. like just say hey yep. oh my gosh it's just so annoying and of course all that goes out the window as soon as he sees that ampada is actually a super hot girl who is um, up to date on all the latest trends because she somehow made the boy ampada's clothes look super picked on her from what we know of like the fashion during her time, it was very loose clothes and they didn't have pants. And how she think to tie up the shirt? Well, I think she just tied it as a practical thing because the shirt was too big. And I think she just chose to put on his clothes because that was all she knew was that she was taking his place. So she just thought to take his clothes too. I just think she probably, it's impractical in her mind to, to tie it up like fashionable. I feel like but if she's she probably, used to normal clothing, then like having a baggier shirt would seem more on brand for but the culture. shirt was like you have to kind of just think the shirt was probably big but also like she probably was naked in all honesty yeah 
Anyway, yeah. So Xander is very taken with Ampata. Back at Buffy's house, Willow asks how Ampata is a girl. And Ampata says, "Um, yes, many years now. And I love like all of the little cues that are given throughout or the little hints given throughout the episode. I mean, we know Ampata is the mummy. Like they don't make any secret of that. But I think it's interesting, like the answers she gives everybody, she doesn't really out right lie to them. She kind of is very truthful. Mm. She just obviously doesn't tell them that she was a mummy. Um, I like mentioned that well Sarah was saying that usually in like TV shows or monsters of the week, they'll hide like who the villain is until the very end. And she was like, I well, I wonder why that from the beginning they showed that it was like not the actual Impata and that this girl was like the mummy. Um and I think it's because if they did that, then we wouldn't see moments of connection between her and Buffy. We wouldn't see moments where we can relate to her or we can feel bad for her. And like, it just kind of like digs deeper into like the idea that this is the first quote unquote villain that like you kind of just like feel for because you yeah. wouldn't feel those feelings for her if you thought she was good the whole time. But the fact that we knew right away that she was the mummy and then it somehow went in reverse where we're like, oh my gosh, she's the villain. She's going to be the worst. And then it like slowly dies down. You're like, oh, this poor girl's gone through a lot and I feel for her and I actually like her now. And then at the end, it's like goes back to being a villain. But Right. Well, they made her sympathetic and I liked that there's very much a correlation between Buffy and Ampata and being chosen ones and that they are kind of tied to this fate that they didn't want or even choose for themselves. Um, And so knowing that Ampata is the mummy from the beginning, you see those parallels more clearly than if you're sitting there going, hmm, is she the bad guy or is she not? You know, we probably would be thinking Rodney was the bad guy the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) And then kind of going along with what we talked about, we have that really, really cute exchange between Buffy and Ampata in Buffy's room. And I love that Buffy's trying to get to know Ampata. She's like, what's it like back home? And which I think, okay, this is a good example of helping someone and getting to know their culture and not just expecting them to fully assimilate into yours. You know what I mean? Yeah. Buffy is just very curious. I think partially to get to know her because Buffy's life is so kind of set in stone for her that she can't make a lot of free decisions. And so I think that the idea of traveling and being able to go and visit other places is kind of alluring to her. No, absolutely. And I think you're dead on, Leah, because you can tell there's a longing in Buffy's life that she wants to be able to be a normal girl and do regular things and see other things. And she can't as long as she's a slayer because she has to be at the hell mouth. And Ampata's like, I just want to fit in and be a normal girl like you, which I mean, there's, it's very obvious the correlations they're trying to make between Ampata and Buffy. And both of them, I think, in a lot of ways are envious of the other person, thinking they have so much more freedom. I will you know? say, like, I know Buffy's life, like, kind of sucks because, like, she has everything mapped out for her. But, like, I think I'd much prefer that to, like, death. Yeah. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I mean, she already died technically. So, but Ampata, like, died and stayed dead. And then now she's being forced to be carted around the entire world and be aware of what's Mm -hmm. going on, but she can't move. That just seems like a living hell. You know what I mean? like, this girl got her life cut short at, like, 15 or 16 and then was just dead for hundreds of years and then just like wakes up one day and is like, all right, the only way for me to actually have a life is to like take other people's lives. But it's like you want it so bad because like you're alive at that point and like your drive is telling you like suck the life out of this person because so you can have a life. It would be very tempting. 
Will it be easy probably to justify what you're doing going, I've had my life taken away from me. What's taking someone else's life? Like that's almost justice, you know? But it's like, she'd have to suck so many people's lives like a day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of people. And how, how would anyone like not pick that up for however long you stay alive? Yeah. There's like bodies just dropping everywhere you go. Like her and Xander take a date like a couple weeks from now and like the waiter ends up dead. Everyone in the restaurant's dead. And like (laughs) she keeps coming out of the bathroom, like looking amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Also, she couldn't even just casually kiss him. She's like, oh, darn. They go to bed and then we see the creepy bodyguard, whatever weird sword guy watching them from the bushes. (laughs) Not sketch at all. Like the guys in suits and out of mind, out of sight. Yeah, right. So the next day at school, we see Cordelia talking to Devin, who is her boyfriend now. Have we have we seen Devin before? I don't even know at this point. I can't keep track. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I almost seen Devin. Okay, so this is Devin. This is Cordelia's boyfriend for this episode. Yeah. One day she's going to have a Wait, permanent Devin? boyfriend. She had a other boyfriend named Kevin. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she's cycling through the same names now. So she's like, how can I replace Kevin? I don't know Devin. how there's that many people in Sunnydale she hasn't dated. And there's like a there's a pattern of her boyfriend's dying too. So I'd be like, mm, no, thank but you. She's just like she brushes it off. She's like, Neh. yeah, not a care in the world, man. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, she doesn't seem to be phased by it at all. But so Cordelia is talking to Devin. I'm not going to be one of those groupies standing at the edge of the stage because I guess he's the lead of the band. And he's like, all right, so where are we going to meet? And she's like, edge of the stage. Oh my gosh. <laughs> then we meet Oz. And this guy, I know this is the first episode, but he is so sweet. Yeah. I just like, I love everything about him. You know, it's only been one episode, but I just am obsessed with him. Just like the way he handles himself in this interaction is just so cute. He just is very respectful in the way that like his friend is kind of like objectifying Cordelia. Yeah. Like Oz is very respectful to everyone. Like he's respectful to Cordelia by just kind of being like, yeah, that's not my type. But he's also kind to his friend by just being like, you're attracted to anyone and that's just not me. Mm -hmm. And so it's just the way he handles the situation is very sweet because I think that it's very easy to just kind of be like, oh, ew, no, not attracted to that person and like be a jerk to them because it's easy. But I think that the fact that he's just very respectful to Cordelia, um, even though she's not theirs, speaks volumes. It shows that you can not agree with someone's taste and still be kind mm-hmm. and respectful to them about it too. Like they could have been talking about someone other than a girl and he could have been like, hey, I like red lollipops versus green lollipops. And it's easy to like make fun of someone for their tastes or their their choices. But instead he's just like, no, that's just not me. And like he's not belittling the person or making them feel bad about their choices. Um, but I guess in this case, Devin should feel bad about making fun of Cordelia. So my analogy breaks down. But you know what I mean? Like Oz just seems to handle it very well. Yeah. And he just seems super like chill. I'd be like, yeah, I'd hang out with this dude. Yeah. So, oh yeah. And I forgot to mention before that Cordelia was being really incredibly rude and mean to Sven. She's like treating him like her dog. And then she says to Devin, he doesn't even speak American, (laughs) which is not okay. And I like want to be upfront with that because we get on Xander and I think we should call out that Cordelia is not being any better than Xander in this episode. They're both very, like the very least insensitive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and then Willow and Xander are talking about costumes. And I think this is the scene we were referring to earlier when we were talking about how Willow, how she's dressed. She's wearing very bright colors and she even has like that cute bucket hat on. And then in contrast, you have Ampato who's wearing like earth tone colors. And it's really sad because Xander was going to go with Willow and Buffy initially. And now he's talking about how he doesn't want to look weird in the costumes that they picked out. And then completely ignores Willow once he sees Ampata. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens a couple times in this episode. And it just it gets one thing to where Xander is actively choosing Ampata. It's another thing where he's actively choosing Ampata over Willow. And I think it's okay for Xander to be into Ampata. It's okay for Xander to choose Ampata over Willow because if he's into her, he's going to choose the girl he's into. But what I don't like is the fact that he's changing certain things about himself and kind of like leaving his friends behind to try and get the girl like the fact that he's all embarrassed about going to the dance now when he was going to go before that's unkind like it's okay to be like oh i'm going to talk to this girl i'm really into instead of my friend because you know i see her all the time that's fine but like the fact that he's like embarrassed about things he was gonna do prior to impata being there is just very rude to his friend yeah no absolutely that's a good point leah he he's not a bad person for wanting to be with impata and being attracted to impata and not attracted to willow that is totally fine i think it's hard because the way that he's doing it is just very um maybe insensitive and i think it's also isolating to like willow Yeah, absolutely. And I think that he could be doing it maybe a little bit kinder and talking to Willow and saying, hey, is it okay if I go with Ampata instead with you or whatever it is. I think it's also got to be hard too because we get the sense that since Willow and Xander have known each other for so long that they always do these kinds of things together. And so now it's like she's kind of being left out in the cold without him really giving her another option. Yeah. This next scene kills me because Giles is like, how do you do? And then he like doesn't even take his eyes off of her. And he's like, "Um, can you translate this? And then just like hands it right over. Giles kills me because he's just such a straightforward person that you can tell like he just does whatever he's like thinking about. And sometimes he's kind of unaware of social cues. And so the fact that like he's not like, oh, how are you? How's your school day been? It's nice to meet you. And he's just very like on task, like can you do this for me? It just like kills me because it's just, it's just Giles. Yeah. And even Buffy's like, that was awkward. Yeah. Well, you could tell he's been slaving over it forever too. And he's like, okay, I can't forget. I have to ask this girl. Oh, hello. Can you translate this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can tell Ampata doesn't want to translate it because I mean, obviously they're going to figure out that she's the mummy. And so then she says the bodyguard and he guards the mummy and doesn't give any more information other than that, which she's smart. She gives just enough information that's kind of close enough to the truth to where if Giles is to like fact check it, it's going to look consistent. It's also a little warped version of the truth. She's smart because the way she says it is more so like making it seem like he's a bodyguard trying to protect her. Whereas in actuality, like he is a bodyguard, but he's trying to protect everyone else like from her. Yeah, well, and he's he's not necessarily bodyguarding the mummy. He's bodyguarding the seal because the seal is what protects everyone else from Ampata. Yeah, so it's very clever in how she does it. Um, so Xander offers to hang with Ampata because it's very clear that Giles, well, Giles and Buffy and Willow need to do some research on it and they don't want Ampata to know that Buffy's a slayer. Um, so Xander's like jumping at the chance to hang out with Ampata and as they go away, Willow's like watching them and Giles like trying to get her attention and she's like, wow, they really like each other, huh? And- oh. 
I think it's this is hard because Willow has never really had to worry about this before because typically every girl that Xander's liked hasn't really liked him back. This is the first one that's like they have like a really sweet connection. Yeah. And I mean, I'm happy for Xander because Ampata is really like she's really sweet, even though, you know, she's also sucking people's life force out of them. But at the same time, like it's hard because you feel for Willow. You also feel for Xander. It's, you just feel for everybody in this episode. Yep. I, I definitely like if Ampata wasn't like some mummy, like ripping out people's souls and stuff. Like I would actually kind of like her and Xander together. Like it is what it is, but I, just, I do kind of feel bad for him. Like that has to suck to constantly be attracted to girls that like are creepy. Yeah. So this next scene is really cute because you have Xander and Ampata eating a bunch of Twinkies and Xander's making Ampata laugh. And I looked up the behind the scenes and apparently Nicholas Brendan was actually making Araceli laugh pretty hard and they had to eat like over 10 Twinkies each for this entire scene. Isn't that gross because they're like stuffing it in their mouths and then they have to keep taking take over take but she says they like kept cracking up and laughing and she says it was just really fun i mean that sounds fun but like every time the scene would be done i just would spit it out yeah i couldn't imagine eating so many twinkies for a take but i think it's really sweet because Zampata says you are really strange to xander and i think she says i like it or something and i think that it's bittersweet because we know Ampata is the bad guy, but then we're also kind of like, you know, for the first time they're meshing and they're kind of getting along and it's just sad. Well, also, like Xander views himself as very awkward and weird. So by her like affirming parts of them that he's insecure about, it's just kind of like, well, that's really sweet. But then again, this is like, it's cruel of them because it's like, we know that she's the killer. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's sad. But then it's also like, oh, Xander, you found someone. I know. It always ends up being some supernatural being. <laughs> He's cursed. Um, so in the library, you can tell that Willow is just not paying attention at all. She's very distracted by the fact that Xander's off with Ampata. I love this exchange between Willow and Buffy because I think it's really incredibly mature of Willow. And I think it also shows the character growth that she's having um, just even since we first saw her in the, in the pilot episode. She talks about how Xander can find someone else that's not me. Um, almost like she's implying that the only reason he's with Ampata because, you know, he wants to be with everyone but me. And she says, at least I knew with you he didn't have a mm -hmm. shot. And then she says, well, you know, I have a choice. I can spend my life waiting for Xander to go out with every other girl in the world until he notices me, or I can just get on with my life. And Buffy says, good for you. And she says, well, I didn't choose yet. <laughs> well, I didn't choose yet. <laughs> Which is very realistic. Like, it makes a lot of sense that if you're struggling with that, that like those are things you're going to be wrestling with. Like, is he literally choosing anyone else but me? Is there something wrong with me? Well, um, I think her saying both yeah. those options, her head already knows. But I think it's going to be a bit Absolutely. more for her heart to kind of like agree. Yeah. And it's hard too because it's like, well, do I wait around for the person I really truly care about to notice me or should I actually like move on and do things with my life? And I mean, it's hard when you're a young person and you just don't know what love actually is or you've never had a relationship. Yeah. And I think those of us who have been in relationships and stuff, we all know that the right answer is to just move on with your life. No one is worth just waiting around until they finally notice mm -hmm. you. But as a high school student, that's really hard. Especially when they're your best friend. Like, this is the only form of love you've really known up until this point. Absolutely. And Willow's in a really tough 
position because it's not like she can just avoid Xander and move on with her life. Like she has to move on with her life while also including Xander in it. Like that's just really yeah. hard. So then Giles is like, comes to another epiphany and is like, oh, I think the mummy is Rodney's killer. And then he figures out that the mummy sucks the life out of the victim. And we're all like, oh, yes, we've known that since the beginning of the episode, Giles. Well done. Way to catch up. <laughs> um, and then the guy with the sword attacks Xander and Ampata and says, you stole the seal. Um, and Ampata wants to destroy the seal and tells Xander, you're not telling me everything. Which, by the way, like, how did Xander and Ampata not hear this man come up on the bleachers? Like, Leapers are noisy. I used to yeah. hate it because mm -hmm. anytime I'd go to like high school football games, anytime you have to pee, anytime you want food, anytime you need anything, everyone can hear you but walk also, up and down no the bleachers. One is on the bleachers with them. Literally no one. Yeah, it, so it would be believable if there was other people there because then it would be noisy and stuff. But it's like outside. No one's outside. No one's even on the bleachers. And the fact that he just shows up and he's already on the bleachers, that's the most unrealistic part of this whole episode. Literally. Yeah. Well, maybe they were in some sort of like Twinkie-induced coma or something that caused their hearing to go. It's exactly. all the sugar. <laughs> then you have this moment in the library where Xander almost tells Empata Buffy's secret, which I was like, dude, dude, just because you like this girl doesn't mean you get to go ahead and tell her a secret that's not even it's so yours. It's rude because it's like, if this was a zone secret, everyone would be like, okay, that's stupid, but it is what it is. But like, this is Buffy's secret, and it even took her a little bit to tell, like, uh, her friends. And also, she hasn't even told her own mother. So, like, maybe don't go around just spilling her secret to everyone. So, Ampata is pretty distraught, and she goes to the hallway, and Xander wants to go comfort Ampata. And I love that Willow – this is so mature of her. Oh, my goodness. She says, you should go with her to the dance. And Xander says, you're my best friend. And as he walks away, Willow just says, I know. And <laughs> I forgot because, like, this scene alone is very powerful. But I forgot that he says, well, she's my best friend in the conversation. She overhears him. Kind of calling yep. back by being like, I know I am. Her. Pretty much yeah. answering the conversation yes. she overheard. Mm -hmm. Yes. Also answering the conversation she had with Buffy. I think by her saying, I know, I think in that moment, it's her almost letting Xander go. Oh my gosh. Such a just like powerful moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's her saying, I know I'm your best friend and I, I know I need to be content and I am content with being that and only that. And I think she's willing to let him go. And yeah, which is great. It's like, I love I love all the subtle little moments like that. I was about to say, yeah. like, that's what I got from the whole scene as well, Sarah, because like I, as I've gotten older, I mean, I just, I more than the average person love films and I love TV shows, but I also love watching how actors choose to act out certain scenes because there's so many ways you could do that. And mm -hmm. I, I completely understand the type of, I know that Alison Hannigan is going for not like a like i know like you're my best friend or it's not like a i know like like there's so many ways you can act it out but the way she said it was kind of like a it was a calm like yeah i am your best friend and i'm gonna choose to move on and like like at that moment willow had peace because she's like i can move on it was very calm yeah. it was very like almost confident like you know what like that's okay you know it wasn't like a pity on me like i'm angry at him like there was nothing like that yeah 
And I think Willow loves Xander a lot. And in that moment, she's like, I want what is truly best for you, even if it's not what I want. And I think that that is incredibly strong and brave of her. Um, So Buffy and Giles are trying to figure out the importance of the seal. And Buffy realizes that she's going to have to cancel her dance to go back to the museum, which I feel for Buffy here because this is just one more example of something else in her life that she's missing out on because of her Slayer life. Yeah. Yeah. So Xander goes to Ampata, um, tells her that he likes her and asks her to go to the dance. And Ampata goes to the bathroom to put on some more lipstick. And she sees the sword guy in the women's bathroom. Like, how is this man just like, he doesn't look like a student. He doesn't look like a staff member. He looks like no one. Like, he would stick out like a sore thumb. How is no one noticing him? He's carrying a sword. He has nowhere to hide that sword. Like, he's bringing a weapon into a school. Like, well, yeah, other than that. But the only way I can see him kind of like sneaking in is because there's a lot of exchange students here. So who knows if it's like a family member who came, if it's like... Uh, you never know. Like if it's if it's yeah. cultural week too, it could be a student that like is trying on their outfit before like the actual dance. I mean, from afar, not up close, but I don't know. There there could be some small reasonings why he would kind of fly under the radar at school this week, but this week alone. Yeah, that's true because you know it's World Culture Week. Yeah, he looks like he's dressed up just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, so fun fact, this actor who plays the sword guy, I was like, he looks so familiar. His name is Gil Birmingham. Um, do you guys want to guess where else he is from? What type of give us a hint? What type yeah, of movie? Yeah, yeah. It is um a movie, not a TV show, and it, it also has to do with vampires. Vampire diaries. Nope. Oh, Twilight. Yes, he's from Twilight. He plays Billy Black, who is Jacob's father in the Twilight franchise. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, now I see it. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah, Leah likes the Twilight movies. Yeah, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. I've only seen glimpses of the first one, but now I'm like, okay, I see it now. Hmm. Ampata, it just breaks my heart in this moment when she says, "Please, I beg of you, do not kill me." And hmm. I, you just you sympathize with her a lot. And he says, you are already dead. You are the chosen one. You must die. You have no choice. And we're all like, hmm, where have we heard that before? So many parallels. Even just like him saying the chosen one. Like it seems very much like um, specific Giles and Buffy moment, but yeah. a lot more dark. Yeah. And then she makes the decision to kill him. So she kisses him and she says, I do. Which you you feel for her because Buffy going to kill the master was her trying to take her own life into her hands. So there's a direct correlation between Buffy and Ampata there. But I think that the scene that really sets Ampata and Buffy apart, and this is like kind of what um, Xander talks about at the end of the episode, we're like, and Pata had a choice to go willingly and sacrifice her life. This yeah. is her choice. And she chose to kill someone and, you know, yeah. live her life. Whereas Buffy chose to sacrifice her life when she went to go meet the master. And so it's like that's ultimately the difference between the two. Yeah. I mean, like, even if someone's, like, threatening your life, there's always a choice in that. Or, like, if someone's like, I'll kill you unless you do this unspeakable thing you have a choice because it's like, okay, well, I'm going to choose not to do that. Even though people are like technically still forcing you to do something, you have a choice not to. Um, yeah. And so in this situation, she did have a choice, 
Yeah. And that's the underlying theme of this episode choice. And ultimately, you know, uh, both um, the Inca Mommy Girl and Buffy represent choice. And Buffy chooses to care and save people out of the goodness of her heart, right. whereas Ampata chooses herself to save herself. And so at the end of the day, I mean, we'll talk about when we get there, um, that is the main difference between Ampata and Buffy. And like, it's just interesting to see someone whose life is very similar to Buffy's and yet they make very different choices. Yeah. Um, so, and that's really big in the Buffy verse. Joss Whedon is very into freedom of choice, um, which I, I really love. So Ampata appears out of the hall or out of the bathroom and I like how they did her makeup because she looks really glowy and yeah. fresh. Like when Lip she gloss. goes into the, the um, bathroom, it's more brown tone. She's wearing like brown lipstick and it's it's supposed to look like she's not really wearing a lot of makeup. And then when she comes back, she looks very like rosy She has and alive. like blush yeah. and lip gloss and... Yeah, and I think they're trying to show that like she starts to look very pallid and pale and sickly and even death-like when she hasn't fed on someone's life force. And then after she has, then she looks more alive. So back in Buffy's room, Buffy's wearing the overalls of pain, as we like to refer to them. Where we saw them uh, school hard when she had to do the posters and yep. stuff. Ampata talks about how Buffy reminds her of the Incan princess who was chosen to sacrifice herself for her people. And I love that while she's talking about all this, Buffy looks at like the drawer and you see the juxtaposition of the photo of the three of them on top of the dresser and then the stakes inside Buffy's drawer, kind of showing Buffy's constant sacrifice. I got to say, it's funny to me that like, and I obviously I know this is a TV show and stuff, but it kills me that Empot is like, you know, you really remind me of someone. And then like, she didn't see the correlation. Well, no, 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 no. Like she's like complimenting Buffy saying like, you're really brave, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, you really remind me of someone and then tells her that she reminds her of herself. <laughs> like she's like, you're so brave and selfless. You really remind me of myself. <laughs> <laughs> but like if I was with somebody and we were kind of like suspicious suspicious about like i don't know let's say i was in buffy's shoes and we were suspicious about like the mummy or whatever and we were so confused about like what all that looked like and then this random chick just decides to have a correlation between a incan princess i'd be like that's a really random correlation like i'd maybe put two and two yeah, together like, what there's the so frick? many other ways you could have a correlation like that seems so specific to me i'd be like why not up. Yeah, seriously. And so Ampata's trunks get delivered and Buffy's like, hey, I'm going to open it. And Pata's like, no, don't open my trunks. So Buffy's like, hmm, that's not sketch at all. And is like literally reaching to open the trunks when the front door rings, which Ampata's like getting by by the skin of her teeth there. So Xander's supposed to be dressed like Clint Eastwood, I think. And I love that Joyce is like, hey, like, why isn't Buffy going? Like, you guys should convince Buffy to go with you. Like, I just love Joyce is trying to subtly be involved in Buffy's life without being overbearing. Yeah, she says two days in America and she's already fitting in. And I don't think she's meaning to be mean to Buffy, but I think it's an extra stab in the heart for Buffy watching them going, yeah, Ampata seems to fit in more than I do, you know? Yeah. At the bronze, Cordelia, oh my goodness, she walks in. Like she's got like a uh, swimsuit on and then a little sarong, like she's from Hawaii, and looks at Willow, who's dressed as an Eskimo. So cute. 
But like the main difference, I mean, they're really trying to like be obvious about this one and how they're dressed because it's like tropical, sexy, beautiful, like sunlight when it comes to Cordy's outfit. And she's like the popular, like, look at me type of personality. And then you see Willow and it's like the complete opposite where it's like a cold climate. She's like completely covered up from head to toe and she's conservative and it's like there's a huge contrast between both of them yeah but the funny thing is that willow's outfit is more culturally accurate than cordelia's Mm -hmm. it's very authentic which is what or buffy says i don't remember which one ever says it but they're like oh very authentic (laughs) and i i mean it's just such a dig cordelia says i almost wore the same thing kind of just like who would think to wear that you know um Poor Willow's already having a crappy night. And good for Willow. She still went to this dance, even though she didn't have anybody to go with. A lot of willpower because I wouldn't go, to be honest. But like, yeah, no kidding. When Cordy walks away, Willow just kind of looks down at her outfit and she's like, maybe I should have worn something sexy. I know. I know. And then Cordelia's ordering Sven to go get her the fruit drink, which I'm like, Cordelia, he's not your servant. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, I love the fact that they made a point to show the difference between what Cordelia looks like and what Willow looks like. And not that like there's a problem with Cordelia showing more skin or anything like that. But I just love the fact that like when Oz is up on the stage, he's, oh, like who's that girl? And they automatically think that it's someone like Cordy, Cordy yeah. or Impata who like are showing more skin and who are a little bit more conventionally attractive and things like that. And he's like, no, like, that's not who I am looking at. And he's like, no, like, the Eskimo girl. Like, it's just Aww. so cute. Yeah. You know, Giles comes to Buffy's house. And I like that he's like, thank goodness you're home. And she's like, um, where else would I be? <laughs> she's like, of course I'm home. She's like, not at the dance. And Giles is like, hey, so the bodyguard was found in the restroom at the school, which bad move on Pata. And he's like, bodyguard is not actually the correct translation. And then they realize that Ampata is suspicious. So they go upstairs, break open the trunk, and find the body of the other Ampata inside, or the real Ampata, I guess I should say, inside the trunk. And I love that Buffy once again uses her fashion sense as a way of identifying the villain. She says, what girl doesn't bring a lipstick? Mm-hmm. Um, So then we have that beautiful moment where they show Devin up there with the guitar and then you have Oz back playing the bass and he looks over and he says, who's that girl? And Devin points to Ampata and says, oh, her, I think she's a foreign exchange student. And Oz is like, no, not her, the Eskimo. Ah, Like, oh my goodness. And the look on his face, so precious. So like in rapture with who she is, he's just like, oh my gosh, like, no, not that girl. Like, ah, so cute. And I love it. I love it because Willow deserves this. She's been just put in the corner and made invisible for so long that she deserves someone who looks at her and sees how cute she is dressed up as an Eskimo and doesn't want her to change who she is. And for those of you that are watching for the first time, um, you probably recognize the actor who plays Oz. It's Seth Green. He has been in so many 90s movies. I think he was the most established in his career by this point. Yeah, he played in My Stepmother is an Alien. He was in The Italian Job. He also is like started Robot Chicken. He was in Austin Powers. He's just in so many 90s movies. And yeah, he's here in Buffy. So we will continue to watch for him. 
So then we have this funny moment with Buffy in Giles' car. And Buffy's like, one of these days, you're going to have to get a grown-up car. <laughs> I know. It's like making noise. It sounds like it's going to like break down at any moment. <laughs> he looks so irritated with her too. Oh, I would be. So Ampata and Xander are dancing and um, Ampata realizes that her hands are starting to shrivel up again. Which I know. They do it quick, man. It was like yeah, to a hundred. Yeah, seriously, because she just drained that dude like earlier on that afternoon, right? Yeah, quick turnaround. Seriously, so they almost kiss, and she realizes her hand is mummifying, and it's hard because like you sympathize with her, and you're like, oh man, like she wants to kiss Xander, but then you're also like, hey, thank you for not killing Xander. We appreciate that. <laughs> so she runs off to go kill someone else because you can tell she genuinely does care for Xander. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's hard about this is that like she sees a life she could have which would be like going to Sunnydale dating Xander being a normal teenage girl and I think that's why she's fighting so hard because like she does have something to kind of fight for and I think that's why it's making it so hard for her yeah so she runs away and Xander's not sure what he did and back in the car Giles knows that the seal needs to be reassembled in order to capture the mummy and keep her in her state in the coffin um, and back in the bronze. So it's funny because we had that moment where Cordelia has been making fun of Sven and saying he doesn't speak American. And he's talking to the girl that's actually the friend of Cordelia's. And he's talking a ton. He's like, is she even from this country? Yes. It just kills me because he's like allowing her to talk down to him because he's just like, I don't care. Yeah. And then he actually can speak English. Yeah. Well, I could just see like her like kind of talking down to him and just being like, what's the point? If I if I say anything in English and she knows that I can speak really good English, she's just going to want to like harp on me even more. So when well, he's also kind of saying like Cordelia is extremely uncultured, he's like, how does she not even know, you know, that I can speak English? Right. So Ampata is trying to kiss this guy and you could tell like as time is going on, Ampata is becoming more and more desperate. And I think she's starting to realize the gravity of what she has to do. She has to take all these lives. But I think she's also, the longer she's in this world, the more she wants the normal life that she's living. Mm -hmm. And so each life that she takes becomes, if I don't take your life, then I go back to the life I had before. And this one is so full. Yeah. Well, I also think like when she killed the actual Ampata, it was like she was like a full on mummy at the point. So she was like desperate being like, I'm so close to life. So this one is worth it to me. So she took the life of Ampata. But then when she took the life of like the guard, I think it was more of like she was trying to like, she felt like it was justified because he seemed like he was like, well, I'm going to take you back. And she's like, well, no, I'm desperate. So I'm going to kill him. But this is the first time it's like, this guy is just so innocent and she like dragged him into there. So it seems a lot more dirty. It was really wrong because she went out and searched for it. Well, so. and she's also like taking the life of an innocent, which is like yeah. her whole beef with what they did to her in the first place. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's not to say Ampata wasn't innocent, but I, yeah, there's something very different about this one. It's almost very, um, it's desperate and it's also very meditated and predatory in the way that she's doing it. Yep. Um, so she tries to kiss him and then um, Xander comes along and interrupts them and he says, I love you, which causes Ampata to cry because I think at this point she's realizing that there's no way that her and Xander can ever be together and then the way that they want to. Does he say I love you? I don't you? remember I saying don't. I love you. Yeah, he says I love you. Oh, I don't heck? remember that. That's a big word. 
day after like two days. Yeah, I know. Well, and that's what makes her cry. And so he's like, well, what did I say? Like normally after you say I love you, you don't cry. Yeah. And then she kisses him, which I think was an interesting choice because I wonder if that was her in that moment, like getting lost in that moment and forgetting or if that was her being like she so desperately wants that kiss with someone that she cares about, that she doesn't care about the consequence. Yeah. I don't know. Could be either. And unfortunately, she starts to suck the life force out of Xander and she stops herself and says, no, I can't and pushes him away, which yay, good job, Ampada. <laughs> I know. I'm so conflicted, you know, like I understand, I see where she's coming from, but then it's also like what you're doing is wrong, you know? So back in the museum, Giles is trying to assemble the seal and Buffy runs to the bronze and is like, hey, where's Ampata? And tells Willow that she's actually the mummy. <laughs> she's like, oh, good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so then she's like, they realize, oh, we have to go find Xander. And just as she darts away, you see Oz, who's like reaching out to tap her on the shoulder. And then she walks away and he's like, ah. Oh. Who is that girl? <laughs> See, he just like looks so excited to like well, talk to her and like get to know her. Yeah. So cute. Yeah. We're like doing a very bad job of hiding how much we like Oz. <laughs> <laughs> we're really sorry not to give any spoilers. I had an angel. When angel first popped up. I was like, we wonder who this yeah. handsome, Such beautiful, a wonderful stranger, stranger is. Is. We don't know who he is, but we absolutely adore him and are obsessed with him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll be back, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. Right. All right, so Giles finally finishes and puts together the seal. Like, it took him forever to, like, assemble all the little pieces. Um, Pata shows up and completely shatters the seal again, which, poor Giles. I know, he's, like, trying to fix the seal. <laughs> I just feel so bad for him, but it's also just such a funny scene. Because he's, like, you could tell he's been, like, really working on it. He's, like, ha-ha, the last piece. <laughs> Smashes and he's, like, hey. So then... Empata is very close to killing Giles and Buffy shows up. And I love that Empata is shocked. She's like, you are not a normal girl, which like newsflash Empata, neither are you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like acting all betrayed as if she didn't do the exact same thing. Yeah. She's like, oh, I stayed in your bedroom. Oh, I know. So Empata, who seems incredibly strong for someone who's like half dead, yeah. just throws Buffy into the coffin and tries to kiss Willow. And then Xander shows up and she says, just let me have this one. And I think this this scene is obviously very intentional. And Xander, to his credit. It's just, it's so redeeming for him because mm-hmm. like the episode we talked about how it's been crappy that he's like choosing Empata over all of his friends and he's changing things about himself. And like just the fact that he like finally chose Willow, even if it's in a friend sense, like he chose Willow, he chose to be there for her. And I love how like, for him, he was like, no, like, I can't overlook this. Like, this is a deal breaker. Yeah, I think it's even more impactful that he said, like, the L word to her, like, literally seen before this. He loved her. So, I mean, I don't want to give him, like, major props to this only because it's like, uh, if he had said yes to her, like, taking Willow, like, I, he would not be redeemable. But, like, it's the bare minimum for him to be like, no, don't kill my best friend. <laughs> um, but, like... Yeah, I don't know. It, it must have been really hard for him just because he literally just said, like, I love you to this girl. But what's crazy is that he's not just being like, no, you can't have Willow. He literally is saying, like, take me instead. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and I think it's also very intentional because Xander also says that he loves Willow in this episode too, but he says he loves Willow as a friend, a best friend. And then he tells him Potty he loves her and it's very clear it's in a romantic sense. Yet when push comes to shove, he chooses Willow over Ampata. And I think that's very intentional. This scene um, gives me like flashbacks to the episode Angel. So Buffy kind of challenges Angel by like kind of like showing him her neck and is like, you know what? Be the monster that you say you are. Oh. And she, and yet he doesn't do it. And then in this episode, like Xander does the same thing. He's like, we'll take my life. And like she ends up not doing it as well. She says, let me have this one. He says, that's not going to happen or never going to happen. Mm -hmm. If it's going to be anyone, it's going to be me. Can you do that? And in that moment, he's like challenging her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can see Ampata wrestling with it. And finally, you know, self-preservation wins out. Mm -hmm. And she says, yes, which is just hard. And Buffy breaks out, um, grabs Ampata, and Ampata shrivels back into her mummy state. Which poor Xander. It really shows the difference between like someone like Angel and someone like her who like, you know, what true love actually is and like how like a moral person is actually different. Like, you know, Angel has to fight his desires daily. I mean, the only major difference is that like Angel's life isn't being threatened every day based off of his decision. Um, It's just more of his like moral compass by like giving into his demon side. But with Ampada, it was like, this is literally my life. Yeah. Yeah. So Willow goes and comforts Xander and then they all leave. And back at the school, Xander says, I have horrible taste in women. (laughs) (laughs) And actually really enjoy this moment between Buffy and Xander. I think that it's actually really kind of sweet. She says, Buffy says, Empata wasn't evil, at least not at first. She just wanted a normal life. And Buffy knows how. She knows how she felt. And she says, you know, when I found out that I had to give my life for the master, like I was going to be killed by him, she's like, that was a really horrible moment for me. And I almost didn't go through with it. And Xander reminds her, he's like, but, you know, you made the sacrifice where Ampata didn't. And Buffy reminds Xander, but you were the one that saved me. And she goes, yeah. you know, the difference being between main difference between me and Ampata is that I have people around to help me versus Ampata, who is incredibly alone. Yeah. It's just a very sweet moment. And I think that these moments like this are like ones that we actually really need because you see a lot of like their friendship kind of be tested a lot. And so I love seeing moments like this where it's very genuine. Yeah. And we haven't really actually seen Buffy address Xander bringing her back except for that one awful moment when she's like, <laughs> dancing <laughs> in, um, when she was bad. And I I wonder too, like this episode was written for season one, how it would have been different before Prophecy Girl. Like if they were doing it and if they had left it open-ended at the end where like, ooh, we all know Buffy's going to have the sacrifice at the end. Is Buffy going to choose what Ampata chose or is she going to do something different, you know? I That's really interesting you bring that up, Sarah, because I, I think that it's even more impactful that it's in season two because in that conversation in the bedroom when her and Ampata are talking, she's sitting here and she's like, well, yeah. I I relate to her, but like she made the choice to go and sacrifice herself. Yeah. And so it's more impactful because then at the end you see Ampada be weak and you see her decide to like stay alive in self-preservation when Buffy was the one who was like, you know what? Like I'm going to go and I'm going to, if I die, at least I can bring down the master with me. So 
It's just, I think it's even more impactful than it's after. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially because we've seen Buffy make the exact same uh, or be faced with the exact same choices and decisions yeah. that Ampata is, but make completely different uh, decisions all on her own. And so we look at Ampata and although we see that their situation is slightly different, we still go, you still have a choice, Ampata, yeah. and you're choosing wrong. Yeah. So, Yeah. Excellent episode. Well, that wraps up Income Mummy Girl. We did it, you guys. Well done. Well done. Round of applause for all of us. <laughs> Thanks, guys, so much for joining us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and got some things out of it. Let us know if there's anything that you noticed, um, anything that we missed. Uh, yeah, just email us or DM us on Instagram. We always love to discuss and talk about the deeper themes in Buffy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, let us know. Um, you guys can follow us again on Instagram at becoming Buffy podcast or email us at becoming Buffy podcast at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next time. See ya. Hi, Scoobies. Welcome to our Scooby secret section. Um, thanks for sticking with us for the whole episode as we say every single week this is our absolute favorite part of the podcast we get to just kind of relax and talk about everything that we love about Buffy so um if you have not seen Buffy before and you do not want to hear spoilers just foreclosure this is you know all spoilers so if you don't want to hear anything log off now but yeah Let's uh, talk about all the spoiler stuff about Inca Mummy, Inca Mummy Girl. Girl. This episode actually has a lot of like character development moments that pay off later yeah. on in the episode yeah. or in the show. Yeah, I can't say that there's a lot of moments where I'm like, this is future foreshadowing, but there's a ton of like character stuff that is like mm -hmm. heavy in this episode. We're introduced to two new characters that become huge in yeah. the show. I know. And that which weird, is so weird. Like, what a weird reasons. episode. And also just like, I feel like this is a, a very fundamental episode when it comes to certain personalities, like mm. if that makes sense. What do you mean by that? I think that this episode has a lot to do with Willow and her character and her whole identity with being seen mm. and uh, desiring that kind of attention in like not in an unhealthy way. Sure. And then I also just think that this episode has a lot to do with like Xander and like how his like desire for women and their attention kind of grows and like I don't know nothing you know crazy I follow this Buffy like page on Facebook and I think it was a couple weeks ago someone posted about like what do you think should have happened or would you would you have wanted Xander's character to to go somewhere or like do something different in the show and someone commented and they said they wish they had like given him something like him being like half demon and how his parents weren't his actual parents. And so that would make sense why he was always drawn to like demon women mm. or like people like that. Um, which I feel like could have been cool because like they really set it up in the first couple seasons that there's like something like different about him and they talk about his broken family a ton. So I feel like that could have been cool. Um, but what do you guys think? I think as much as that, that is a cool idea, I I think that it wasn't so much that Xander liked demon. I think it just he loved powerful, strong women. I mean, look at every single woman he's ever been attracted to on the show. You have Buffy, who was like he was obsessed with for practically but he's three drawn seasons. to all those women. Right, right. But I'm saying like. 
Buffy is a powerful, strong mm-hmm. woman. And you don't even find out that she has a little bit of demon in her until seasons later. He's really like drawn to Faith, another very strong female character. Like Cordelia, who was his like first actual girlfriend on the show, another strong female. Anya, Anya another strong female. Like even like Willow, like has a very silent strength about her. I think that he just really loves powerful women. Mm-hmm. And I think that him being absolutely human is his best character trait and his also biggest character flaw. And I think I like the fact that he stays human. I like yeah. the fact that there isn't, you know, something absolutely spectacular about him because I think that it gives him a story. I think they were they were meant to do that. And I think when I first read that, I was like, that would have been a cool storyline, but I think it would have also like geared more into way more Xander-centric episodes. And I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route. Um, they probably got must have gotten like a lot better if they wrote them later on. But I think like Leah said, I like the fact that he stays human because no one else in the show is like just purely human. Yeah. And he just, he grows as a human too. And I like that. I like the fact that like he uses his humanity to his advantage in the later seasons. And he kind of uses the fact that he doesn't have some mystical supernatural like element to him to kind of be an observer and to like be kind of outside of the poles of like a mystical world. I think about our conversation with Liz where she was talking about how Xander's attraction to Buffy and the fact that he doesn't like he could have said, oh, that's too much woman. Instead he's like, wow, like this is someone that I'm attracted to that I really like. That's actually a strength and not a character flaw of Xander's. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that shows a strength in him. But I think it's interesting because I think back to the harvest where Buffy says, no, you stay here. I'm gonna go save Jesse. And he says, oh, it's because I'm less than man. And I think that that sets up Xander's arc because by the time we get to season seven, Xander is still fully human, but he's accepted that he's human based upon his conversations with Dawn. And he's realized that his humanity is what makes him strong. And he's accepted that his humanity is who he is and that that's his power. That's his superpower. And so I think Xander had to wrestle through that. And that's why he's so annoying in the first few seasons because he doesn't want to be weak. He wants to be strong. He wants to be a man. And if they had given him a demon or a superpower, whatever it was, that would have cut short his arc and it would have given him what was making him so piggish or pigheaded in the first few seasons. Instead, he kind of had to like grow to the point where he realized that it's okay to be human and that that doesn't make him weak um, and to kind of grow past that. And he becomes a valuable member of the Scooby gang. I mean, I try to give him a lot of credit in the earlier seasons, but like I, I have to give him some credit when it comes to, he like really fights really hard and like um, going out and doing some of the brunt of like the physical work when it comes to like, like killing vampires if Buffy's not there or just being the backbone of the emotional support or like things like that where he kind of compensates in areas that everyone else doesn't have time for and I think that's his biggest strength and he really tries to kind of like back up in places where he's like well you know what I can't really do this so I'm gonna like go around and make sure that everyone's okay in other aspects which I think he really tries hard in and I think that like kind of what Sarah was saying like I I do really think that if they had given him a demon element it would have cheapened his arc in a way mm-hmm. of like he had to learn to be a man and change his view of what a man was by working through that in himself. And I think that if he had just gotten strong because he was like a demon or something like that, 
it would have completely erased the whole idea of who Xander thinks he is. Mm -hmm. And it would have really, like, he would have ended up probably being a completely different character. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Speaking of men, what else is in this episode? (laughs) Yes, the gold standard for men. No, on this... So sweet. I... I know that a lot of people love like Tara and Willow and I do really love Tara. I think just in my own mind, I just like there will never be for me a better person for Willow than Oz. Mm. And I think that I love like Tara and Willow together, but like Oz was just so amazing and I just love him so, 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 so much. And I think that he was the perfect person for Willow like for the first like few seasons he was the perfect first love he was just like the perfect person to like let her grow in her own confidence but also just like i don't know he just like was so stable and he just was so sweet and he just like let her grow in her own way and uh, i just i could talk about oz forever i get upset when people try to cheapen the fact that maybe like willow didn't love oz just because like her life changes later on in her life and she like decides to you know date tara yeah um but i think she loved oz yeah they had like a real genuine like pure sweet like strong relationship yeah. i think it's just it really is the definition between like a first love and then like your great love and i think that like like Oz was her first love and you know me being selfish I wish that he had stayed and just never left um but I think that Tara really was her like great love um but Oz is just like for episodes after when they broke up she was she mourned she was so sad like so sad you you don't mourn like that after just like a A normal average breakup yeah Yeah. they also had I think the healthiest relationship of any of the relationships within the entire show you know yeah and I mean unfortunately this isn't real life so that kind of relationship is boring to watch but I I just appreciate how stable they were you know yeah also the two characters that we meet in this episode both Oz and Jonathan both of them play major parts into Willow's like arc kickstart yeah and, like her arc later on especially Jonathan I thought it forgot about like him in the earlier seasons just because like he's a part of the trio later on and we all know what happens with that I don't need to bring that up but yeah like the two people we meet in this episode just really like kickstart her arc yeah it's just like it, it's so crazy like Oz is just someone who is such a silent like amazing character like he just is so smooth and just steals the show in my eyes every single time he's there. And I will say he's one of the characters, in my opinion, when he leaves, like you feel it. Yeah. Like I would Him say and Cordy. At, well, and I think Angel for me too. Yeah. Um, yeah for, of course. I think in my personal opinion, I, I miss Oz more than I miss Cordy when they leave because I feel like Anya kind of takes the place of Cordy for me, but I feel like no one really like replaces the energy that Oz kind of brought. Um, I love whenever he's on the show because it, there's just such a like air of like sweetness that just comes with him. Yeah. yeah. And he's precious. And I'm excited that we get to talk mm-hmm. about him more. Like this is just the beginning. We're going to see a lot more of him later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what a sweet entrance. Like just very, very Oz, very sweet. Mm-hmm. And poor Jonathan. <laughs> and poor, poor Jonathan. Entrance. No, Jonathan has a good arc too. Like I come to appreciate him more as the seasons go on. Yeah. yeah I always forget that. Jonathan is the one who dies and that Andrew is the one who stays just because like Jonathan is a bigger part of the show for most of the show Mm -hmm. that like when that episode finally does come I'm like oh I forget that 
he dies. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, well, and I mean, we were ta- just talking about how human Xander is. And I feel like Jonathan is another one of those characters that's also very human and tragically human because his mm-hmm. arc over the the seasons is of someone who's very insecure and doesn't fit in and have their own place and just wants friends. And so it would make mm-hmm. sense that, I mean, we have Superstar, which is that episode all about him where he changes yeah. reality so that he could have friends and everybody would like him. It would make sense that he would get mixed up in a crowd such as the trio. That's not to negate his involvement in it, but we do see that Jonathan has a conscience and he even is ready to turn them in. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's why he like Warren, you know, told him to kill him because he was like trying to, you know, make sense of what was going on. But yeah. yeah. Um, To kind of switch gears a little bit. And I think it's the second outfit that Buffy wears. She wears the becoming tan pants. Oh, yeah. Ah, mm-hmm. You see, and like Buffy never, 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 never wears the same outfits. And so she wears these pants. And then she also wears the giraffe pants and reptile boy that she wears in Innocence or Surprise. I think that Buffy recycles articles of clothing. Yeah, but not a full never, outfit. Like, I think the only outfit you really see her wearing is the overalls. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you see her wearing like her jacket, her like signature uh, leather jacket multiple times. You see her wearing. It's a different one though. No, there's a few times that it's like the same one. And then like you see her wearing, there's like this blue jacket she wears a lot. Um, And you see her wearing the Becoming one. No, I think it's later on in the seasons. Um, But it's very rare that you see her like fully wearing a whole outfit. And I think it's because it's a TV show and they didn't want it to be boring. I just thought it was funny though that like, Especially the giraffe pants. I was like, why this pair of pants? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> both of them. I wanted to talk a little bit about Willow tutoring Rodney because we see a pattern of Willow. Like she teaches at one point. She takes over from Miss mm-hmm. Calendar. Then we also see her tutoring. Oh, I do not remember his name. But we see him in season four. They go to the same college. And then we also see her called on by Principal Snyder to tutor some of the other. Like that one guy. I think it's in like Go Fish or something like that. But she tutors multiple times throughout the series. And I think it's really interesting. And it shows like such a heart of compassion that Willow has. Yeah. And she's also just very intelligent. Like I think that like it's one thing to be able to like understand something. But it's a whole other thing to be able to explain that to someone in detail who is in your same grade. And I know I'm like hyping up tutors. But like (laughs) coming from someone who was stupid in high school and just (laughs) did not like do well in school. You weren't stupid. I wasn't stupid. But like I definitely did not excel in an academic like area. Like if it were not for some of my friends like helping me in certain subjects like science and anatomy and math and English and 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 English and and, you know PE and everything. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't think I would have graduated. Like I needed the like that help in areas and I think that I just was always very impressed by the fact that like people who can understand like what's and going also on teach. Yeah. and also teach when you're literally the same age as them like that's impressive I also wanted to talk about that um, line that Buffy says when she's trying to convince Giles to let her go to the world culture dance she says slaying entails sacrifice blah 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 give me a scone and it reminds me of what spike says i think it's in season six when he is rescuing giles from a vampire and he says um what did you see your life flash before your eyes 
He's like, cup of tea, cup of tea, almost got shagged, cup of tea, cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why it just reminded me of like, and I could just imagine Giles being like, it's as if you know me. <laughs> yeah. Or in um the prom when he's talking to Wesley, he's like, you have the maturity of a blueberry scone. Yeah, the emotional maturity of a blueberry yeah. scone. <laughs> just ask yeah. her out, oh, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I know Stop we're- fluttering about. I know we're not there yet, but I- Always forget that Wesley and Cordelia had like a fleeting romance <laughs> because so like fast. it just was so fast. Because if you, you watch know, Angel, you're like, what? These two never. Yeah. Well, I remember when I first started Angel, I was like, hmm, like I could kind of see them together. And then the minute like you actually get to know their characters, yeah. you're like, never. They just <laughs> went in such opposite directions that they would have never made sense romantically. Never. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad I they mean, never tried. I mean, I I think that about Angel and Cordy, but you know. I don't want to upset whoa, whoa, people. Calm down. Yeah. Everyone's and like, what the hell? I don't think they had any chemistry for this episode. People are going, people just wanna... start, we just start seeing everyone like and unsubscribe. These, <laughs> these are just our opinions. You can completely disagree with me and that's totally fine. I just think they had zero chemistry. Well, yeah, but we should leave some for later, later conversations <laughs> that people are like, oh, I wonder what they think about this instead of like, oh, well, I already yeah. know what season six is going to be about. <laughs> I have a couple like, with certain phrases in this episode, they remind me of phrases or storylines in later episodes in seasons two and three. Um, like the the time that Willow and Buffy are talking in the library and Willow says something along the lines of um, Xander's going to obsess over every other girl before he notices me. I just think of innocence when she says you'd rather date anyone else than date me when she's talking about when she finds out about him and Cordy. Yeah. And that just like really reminded me of it. Um, and then Buffy had to kind of give up a part of her normal life and her Slayer life. And that just reminds me of the prom when <laughs> she like couldn't go to the prom and she was like, you know what? I'll have everyone else have a good time because I want them to have a normal life. And then I'll take the brunt of the work. Yeah. I also wanted to ask because I feel like we haven't done this segment in a while, but what do you guys think Dawn would be doing? In this episode? <laughs> because it's heavily focused on yeah. her family life and there's a whole other person in there and we know there's an extra room so why did she not stay in the extra room but it would make a lot of sense for Ampato to be staying in Buffy's room if Dawn had her other room because you know Joyce would not have made Dawn and Buffy stay in the same room that's true yeah it makes a whole lot of sense to believe that Dawn's in the other room versus you know making Ampata like stay in Buffy's (laughs) room when there's like a whole spare room over there I could see like Dawn being such a like a little brat to Buffy being like, Ampata, you're so much prettier than Buffy. Like, you know, you should date Xander. And like all this stuff. Like I could see her just no, kind of No, she has like, a crush on Xander. That's she true. wouldn't want anyone to date him. That's true. She'd probably be the one that would have discovered the body in the trunks because she would have been suspicious of Ampata because she didn't like Ampata because Ampata <laughs> was dating true. Xander. So she, she would have found snooping. those trunks and she would have been like, um, Buffy, there's a body in the trunks well before Buffy would have even found it. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. I have something really cute that I clocked in this episode. When Willow's in the bronze and she's wearing like the Eskimo outfit, she's like, oh, maybe I should have worn something sexy because she's like, well, then someone will notice me. Yeah. And so Oz notices her as an Eskimo. Uh, and then she wears something sexy on Halloween. On Halloween and then he sees her. But he saw her first in the Eskimo outfit, said, who's that girl? Yep. And then sees her in the sexy outfit and says, who is that girl? Yeah. Being like, man, this girl's versatile. What yeah. the world? Yeah. I, I always notice that because I actually 
when before I had fully sat down and watched the show, I actually saw the Halloween episode like out of order. I think that someone was watching it on the TV or something. Probably me. Probably you. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing that scene and being like, like that was like I think one of my first impressions of Willow was that outfit, which is so opposite of her character. Mm-hmm. And then I remember going back and watching this episode and being like, oh, that's so sweet that that's first because like he was taken by her when she was just normal Willow. And she and then like, it, like she had to be sexy for someone to notice yeah. her. And then like oh. she like got all sexy and he was like, wow, like you're even better <laughs> than I thought. But I just like love the fact that like she had to get all sexy because she wanted like Xander to notice her and he just didn't even notice. But like Oz noticed her when she was literally in an Eskimo Cole outfit and then like noticed her like again when she was wearing that. Like it's I mean, just so to sweet. be fair, Xander wasn't Xander in that episode. So I think he would have noticed if she was all sexy. Right. But like it's like the whole idea of just like, like it's just so sweet. Yeah. But I, I think it's really cool because Willow is we're watching her confidence grow through the episodes and we see it grow a lot in this one by her making the choice to have Xander go to the dance with Ampata. And then she's yeah. wearing the Eskimo costume and she feels like, oh man, maybe I should have worn something sexier. And then in the Halloween one, she's not confident with wearing the sexy costume. She wears the ghost one. And then what happens at the end? At the end, she becomes confident in her yeah. own self without having to have a relationship or someone tell her. She's just confident in herself. And that's what Oz sees. He sees that confidence. Mm, I think that's what attracts him to her because she's confident in the moment that he saw her wearing the Eskimo costume. And she's also confident wearing that, you know, super sexy costume as well. Yeah. I like the fact that they show Willow grow in herself before she meets Oz. Like Oz definitely helps her grow in confidence even more, but I think that they wanted to get her character to a point where they could say like, Willow is confident and then they introduce a love interest because I think that if they would have introduced a love interest for Willow in the first season and she would have like grown in confidence in the relationship, everyone would have just been like, she grew because of the relationship. Yeah. And she even kisses him first. Like mm-hmm. when he says, oh, like, I don't know if you want to still date me after finding out that he's like a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh, I still, or he says, um, oh, I, who says I still, I very still. Is it him? No, I think he says, think do Oz. you still? And then she says, like, I still, I still, very still, whatever. Dang, I sound like a poet just there. <laughs> Dr. Seuss. But then she comes back and kisses him. And it's just, like, it's very sweet because she kind of, like, kickstarts a lot of um, their relationship. Yeah. And she's very sweet. Yeah. And I love, I mean, we're getting so far ahead of ourselves. But I know we are. <laughs> Everyone's like, we get it. You like Oz. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And I think it's just sweet how he just, he waits for her. Until he feels like she's actually falling for him and she's not just using yep. him to get past Xander. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a very healthy relationship when it started. And yeah, yeah I just love it anyway. <laughs> yeah, ignore all the cheating. <laughs> Block that out of your minds. Yeah. 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 yeah, we'll, yeah we'll get we there, when, get we get there, there. when we get there. So yeah. to shifting gears, I want to talk about Giles's car. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> oh, gears. Oh, that took me way bit. too long. <laughs> I was like, wait, uh, I know how to so, check my oil. I am and... so unappreciated around here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know about four things about my car and that's all my car knowledge. <laughs> but Giles and Buffy, you see Giles's car for the first time in this episode. And Buffy says to Giles, um, someday you're going to get a grown-up car. And I love that because the first time you see Giles's grown-up car is the episode that Dawn appears in. 
And he's got that like midlife crisis sports car that's also the convertible. And they make a lot of fun, especially Spike, likes to make a lot of fun about how Giles is going through some like midlife crisis and has a car. But I love that they throw those little things in there and then actually pay it off because that's Mm -hmm. what makes the show feel real. You have those little moments in there and then they pay it off later. Right. It's not like they just throw something in there and they're like, well, we're not going to do anything about that. Yeah, exactly. So the overalls of pain, we've mentioned it a couple of times and I feel like we should talk about them briefly. So you see them in school hard when she's not, um, well, when she's forced to do the parent-teacher meeting conference thingy. And then- Yes, lots of stress. And then you see it again in this episode when she can't go to the world culture dance. Then you see it again in Ted- Ted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She thinks she killed a human. And then you see it again in Becoming Part, part two. 2. Did we see it again after that? I don't know. I don't remember. But even still, that's a lot that's of episodes. four times in yeah. just one season. At the very end of the episode when Xander is trying to rescue Willow from Ampata and he talks about if it's going to be anyone, it's going to be me. And that reminds me so much of the Yellow Crayon speech yep. from season six. When he was like, no, if you're going to kill anyone, start with me. I deserve that. Well, like like kind of what I mentioned in the non-spoiler version where I said there's a correlation between Angel and Buffy where she like challenges him. Um, it's also the same thing with the, like the crayon one because he's challenging her being like, you know what? Like kill me. And that's what he did yeah. with Willow. And yeah. then she ended up not doing it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Also, I have a question. So – According to this episode, the seal is the only thing that is preventing Ampata from rising. Because once Rodney killed, like broke the seal, then Ampata like kissed him, and then he turned into a mummy. But we saw that Ampata broke the seal when she um, attacked Giles at the very end, and then she just shriveled up and turned into a mummy at the very end, and then didn't come back up, but the seal was broken. So I'm curious. I think that that was kind of a continuity error. I'm, yeah. Plot holes a lot. Yeah. There's no way that she would have just suddenly shriveled up and just not have been uh, able to move again because she was shriveled up in the beginning when she attacked Rodney. Yeah. So, but she also kind of like, it was more than just shriveling up. Her body kind of just like ripped apart, like her arms and then half of her body ripped apart. But yeah, I don't know. I agree with you. It, it There's a lot of stuff that's like kind of gone unexplained in this episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like the episodes get a little bit tighter as time goes yeah. on. Some of the, like this one and then the one with like the eggs and teacher's pet, which why is it we mentioned teacher's pet in every single episode? I know. <laughs> it's definitely iconic. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it definitely sticks in your mind. Yeah, man. Why do, why do we keep bringing it up? <laughs> there's like, I don't know why it's such like a, a piece that pops into my head where I can always correlate something back to it I in the first couple seasons. We watched it more than any other episode because we had to re-record it. it. <laughs> uh, I wanted to say that this is actually the only episode of season two that David Boreanaz doesn't make a feature in at all. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I believe it. Because yeah. yeah, wait, is he in Bad Eggs? Mm-hmm. Oh, they have smooches in the beginning of the episode. That's right. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. Yeah. I remember because they're very loud smooches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David, once he became part of the main cast, he was in every single episode except for this one. Got it. Yeah, because he's he's like only in like four episodes in the first season. I always forget how little he is in yeah the first season. Yeah. And then my last thing that I wanted to say was this: the theme of this episode is very, very similar to the themes of an episode that is only a 
a couple away. It's Lie to Me. Do you guys remember that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's where Buffy's friend comes back forward and he wants to become a vampire. And, and he's dying of cancer. And you have a very similar conversation. Well, you have a similar um, theme in of choice. And I, it's interesting that they have that one and this one in one season. And I think overall, I think that Lie to Me is an uh, overall tighter episode and it is yeah. a better – um, representation of the theme simply because you have that amazing moment where Buffy and Ford actually have a conversation and she says yeah. that sucks, yeah. but you still have a choice. Yeah. Well, yeah. not only that, he would be murdering everyone inside the cellar, yes, but then he'd also live eternity killing people just so that he yeah. can, like, just kind of like on Pata, he'd be having to suck people's blood for the rest of his life. For yeah. not even the rest of his life, for like if no one killed him, he'd yeah. be alive forever, you know. Um, and that's so many people he would kill. Yeah. Same with Ampata. Well, that about wraps up our Scooby secret section. Kind of a heavier topic, even for yeah. an episode that's a little bit lighter. What did you guys think of Inka Mummy Girl? Do you find the character of Ampata sympathetic? Do you relate with her? Um, do you think that her decision and choice to live really is worth the sacrifice that she had to make. Um, and let us know what you guys think Dawn would be doing. We find the submissions really funny. So definitely let us know what you think. And you can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast, or you can email us Becoming Buffy Podcast at gmail.com. And thanks so much for listening, guys. And we will see you next time. Bye.